This is Studio Confessions, a podcast inspiring conversation with artists and creatives as they come clean about failure and success. Listen in for insights and strategies to live a more creative and beautiful life. That's right, I said beautiful. I am Luis Martin, the art engineer. Thanks for listening. How do you do it? How does anyone do it? How do people carry on in the face of so much political gunk, so much suffering, all this horror? The only way I know how to do it is, well, you guessed it, art. Art and talking, art, talking, and coffee. And someday when I'm old and healthy, art, talking, coffee, and a fat cigarette. This is a new thing here. I'm rapping. Not as in hip-hop, as in unpacking things. I might do it again or never do it again. You let me know how it goes and let me know what you think. You see, I needed space to process thoughts, this junk, to unpack recent events. This isn't like the other episodes, I don't think. We'll see. I might not come to a conclusion. Because what I want to rap about is not something I alone can solve. But just like I've said before, Art has been a virtue in my life. I'm better for it. And art has become a filter through which to process these issues or ideas that are not quite resolved, but need to be aired like laundry, or else they'll fester, smell like mold in my soul, and possibly be the end of me. That's dramatic, I know, but I also know you know what I'm feeling. Here's a confession. Well, you might know this about me. But I'm a recluse, a hermit. I live in the 38th floor in a glass tower that I use to shield myself from the world. I avoid crowds and rush hour traffic like my life depends on it. And to some degree, my sanity does depend on it. As you can imagine, I have my reasons, all legitimate excuses that check out. Excuses, but they check out. And that's okay. I don't feel the need to apologize for it. And if you're the same, you shouldn't apologize for anything. As a matter of fact, this podcast is a bridge to this isolation, which is why I love doing it so much. So thank you. Thank you for listening and spending time with me. You're literally keeping me human, I guess. Right now, I can do this because I am in an incubation stage for this podcast. Because I paint and collage in my studio, building up my emerging artist career. This will change, and I'm okay with that. As a matter of fact, I'm doing everything possible to change this. But for now, my opulent life is a form of protesting. I'm claiming my prize and manifesting the life I've always wanted. And this is what I want to rap about today. I have some mental and emotional impact to do about this. You see, this isolation and opulence is legitimately, and this is the word of the podcast, legitimately, my form of protesting by infiltrating, occupying, and buying what is rarely accessible to people of color, or in my case, a brown indigenous Mexican man, living, lounging, traveling, is a protest. And it's also the prize. But what happens when the prize is moved? Full disclosure, my friends, this is a first world problem I'm about to share, but a problem all the same. You see, my husband and I recently went to Mexico for vacation. And just like my lifestyle, we also travel and vacation hermetically. We stay in secluded resorts with few people, always off-season, 
adults only and off the main strip, we splurged this time around and bought first class tickets. If you've ever flown first class, you know it makes all the difference. I mean, it's highway robbery, but the space you get, the attention, it kind of eases most of the anxiety of traveling. I'm telling you, I'm a delicate flower. But I highly recommend it. you treat yourself. I mean, save up, go to this, you'll love it. I mean, we all get there at the same time, God willing, but it's a nice perk to have peace of mind that you'll be comfortable. Another perk of flying first class is the lounge. And oh boy, you need to go to the lounge if you haven't. Usually there's food, showers, nice views, ample spaces before your flight. And my favorite perk of all, magazines. Tons of magazines. I mean, fashion, business, tabloids, foreign, you name it. I stock up and collage at the hotel. It's fantastic. So this time around, we bought our first class ticket on Delta. We had gone to their lounge before and it was dreamy. We went to the airport and got through the circus that is security. I put on my shoes, my belt, my wedding ring. I repacked everything they searched for through my luggage. But I took comfort knowing we'd be going straight to the lounge. And I keep saying I and I because even though I was with my husband, it's a little different for him, you see. He could care less about the lounge or sweat the little stuff. I envy him a bit here. But when we did get to the lounge, there is usually a bouncer type guy, like at a club, that scans the tickets and grants you access or not to this hidden world of luxury. When I gave the agent my ticket, he scanned it and a red light came on. He scanned it again and the red light came on again, even brighter it seemed. Oh, he said, your ticket doesn't grant you access to the lounge. What do you mean, I asked. We have first class tickets. We've flown first class before and we've always been able to enter the lounge. It's part of the reason why we bought the ticket, I explained. Customers going to Mexico are no longer granted access to the lounge. It's a new policy. Yeah, sorry. I quickly got into my logistical problem-solving mode. Well, I started. When did this policy go into effect? I asked. A few weeks ago, he responded. Well, we bought our tickets a few months ago. Is there any way you can let us go through since we didn't know anything about these changes, since we purposely purchased our tickets to go into the lounge? He didn't let us in, and he saw that I wasn't going anywhere. So he asked me if I'd like to speak to his manager, Dom. I said, yeah. A few seconds later, he came empty-handed and claimed he couldn't find Dom. I wouldn't budge. I was polite, but I held my ground. I felt targeted and personally attacked. Another agent came up and reiterated the situation, but then resolved to finding the manager. When the manager came down, I looked at him in the eye and gave him a firm handshake and I smiled. I then looked at his name tag to address him politely and formally. And I could not make this up. His name was Donald. I was in the middle of some ironic comedy sketch, one whose humor totally escaped me. Here I was having Donald, yes, he happened to be a white man, telling me our first class Delta tickets were not good enough to get into the lounge because we were flying to Mexico. I mean, I had to think fast to articulate this at the moment without letting emotions overtake me. Sorry, he said. We have the right to change the policy at any time without notice. Donald, I said. The irony here does not escape me. We bought our first class tickets to Mexico, but now you, Donald, are telling me, telling us our tickets 
do not grant us access into the lounge because we're specifically flying to Mexico. As a Mexican-American, I feel targeted here, I told him. He replied, I had nothing to do with choosing my name, sir. I can change that. I quickly interjected and agreed. I said, yes, just like I can change my skin color, Donald. You can call yourself Don. I can hide my skin, even if I wanted to. I would hope you can empathize. It was brazen of me to say, but I needed to say it. In all truth, we need to be brazen right now. I had hoped for some leniency, as I've often seen people pass through the radar with a nice little pass from the agent at the door. Oh, we'll let you pass this time. We understand you didn't know the changes. Something to that effect, but no. You would have sworn Donald was gonna be fired if he let us through. At this point, I didn't need to get into the lounge as much as I needed to be heard, how wrong it all was. At the end, we walked away, slightly humiliated and deflated, and yes, angry. But I felt good. I spoke up for myself, otherwise I would have hated myself later. This incident, as first world and privileged as it may sound, is an example of how they raise the bar for people of color. You do good, you work hard, you earn the money, and you think this will afford you some privilege. Nope, they can change the policy at any moment without any justification, as Delta did. Yes, that's nice, you have first-class tickets, but still not good enough to get full access. This happens on many levels over. In certain fields, when women and other minorities enter certain careers, they lower the wages and they make less money than their white male predecessors. But I spoke out, and I didn't lose my cool. I wasn't overly aggressive, or even worse, passive. While it stung, I walked away with dignity. I often complain about customer service. At the end of the day, that's what could have solved this issue at Delta. Better customer service, some empathy. I recently said this to a friend. Customer service is dead. But he refused to believe it and completely disagreed. I told him, well, the kind of customer service I warned as a brown man in the, place, in the places I go is different for me than for you. He is white. And that doesn't matter to me, or to my friend, or to our relationship. But my friend, in his heavy metal t-shirt, tousled hair, and worn out sneakers, will always garner better customer service over my J. Crew button-up shirt, or any other material good I drape over my brown body. And I hate having to state the obvious. Our experiences will be different, usually in favor of my white and white-passing friends. This is not a race card. This is my life. I don't hold it against anyone in any way. And me talking about it is more about changing the dynamic than alienating anybody. But alienation is how the society treats people of color. So much the fact that now, as you've heard, I prefer it. By the time we got to Mexico, it was all forgotten. My husband and I were excited to meet our friend, the writer, Ileana O at the hotel. We enjoyed the food, the pools, we got to see Cirque du Soleil, which is an out-of-this-world experience. Another exciting thing I totally think you should splurge in. They've created this whole environment in Mexico, in Cancun. The show's called Hoya. They've created a theater which is surrounded by a moat. And there's all these surreal environments that you can lounge in and eat great food at. I recommend it. While we were at the resort, I read, I wrote, went to the gym. I didn't see much news or much of anything outside the pool. I spoke with my brother 
and in conversation, he said, enjoy the beach. Stay away from the news. It's horrible. They just showed a picture of a Salvadorian man and his daughter who died trying to swim across the Rio Grande in the States. The same river our grandmother crossed with a broken leg many years earlier. He quickly changed the subject and I let it go before I could form an image in my head. On one of the last days, a manager of the hotel invited a few of the people around the pool to gather at the beach to witness some baby turtles being released into the ocean. While we waited, we felt the weather shift. The wind picked up and there were stone colored clouds in the distance. The staff scrambled to get the show going ahead of schedule to avoid the oncoming storm. While they ran back and forth, I reached for my phone to take a picture of the coming storm and accidentally hit the push notification pending on my phone. And there it was, the image that had eluded me earlier, the father and daughter my brother had mentioned. The image was unescapable. A man laid face down in water with his baby daughter tucked into his shirt, both lifeless. I instantly snatched the phone to my chest as if I could reach out to them, either of them. I quickly internalized the image and the horrific and familiar narrative it told. I walked to the group as two men arrived on the beach with cardboard boxes. The wind picked up as some of the staff tried to hand out ocean-colored drinks that more accurately resembled Windex. It was to cheer, perhaps. The two men tilted the boxes and outpoured what looked like hundreds of baby turtles, each instinctly waddling towards the ocean. It started to rain bullets. The dark clouds were above us. But meanwhile, there was a rainbow in the distance and everyone awed on the baby turtles. Something tugs at your chest when you see them, so small and helpless, yet so eager to live. I got closer to see them with my camera and blue drink in hand. I was wearing sunglasses, even though the sun was hiding behind thick clouds, but they served their purpose. I was in tears. The turtles' will and effort to make it in the water brought on the feeling of desperation that Oscar must have felt to save his daughter, Valeria. And simultaneously, I felt overtaken by the sense of surrender. The surrender he must have rationalized to their certain demise. This is what must have driven him to secure his daughter into his t-shirt so that they may stay together in death and be found as a family. This is horror. Looking from above at the little turtles rushing to the ocean before birds and other predators could get to them reminded me that not all of them make it. But we survived. I survived. My family crossed that same river and survived. This death cannot be in vain. I'm here to claim my prize and celebrate in their names and the names of the others that didn't make it. Because it could have been me, and someday it could be you. Rest in power, Oscar Alberto and Valerie Martinez Ramirez. Hey, thanks for not turning away and listening to this podcast, even when it goes to hard places. That is where the catharsis lies. If you'd like to support this independent podcast, go to studioconfessions.com and purchase a print for the cover of this episode and others. Check out the show notes for pictures, links, and other information about this episode. I'll be including some pictures of those turtles. Remember to join the email list to receive members-only content and art. Now let's get back to the show. This episode is not a venting session or a campaign against Delta Airlines. Nope, not Delta Airlines or the whole of the United States. What this episode is, is a way to unpack 
these experiences and to use the art lens, my art filter, to process it all. Because there is a lot to process. Me, personally, I resolve these issues with ideas for art. Art I never intend to make just because I don't have the energy or enough hands. And the truth of the matter is that you can't give into every whim, no matter how good an idea may be. I read something by Kevin Kelly, the co-founder of Wired magazine. I'll add this to the note description if you go to studioconfessions.com. It'll all be there for you. He had mathematically estimated how long he had to live, taking in consideration his health, his age, and all of the foreseeable factors. Then he set up a death countdown clock on his computer. This sounds a little morbid, but I find it remarkably efficient. Think about it. If you're an ambitious person and really want to accomplish certain things in your lifetime or want things in your life right now, if you have an awareness of time, you wouldn't waste any of it. He goes on to explain that he scheduled his projects accordingly and has divided them into five-year increments. Because, he says, any great idea worth doing will take five years to get off the ground successfully. So I've adopted this five-year plan. And in so many ways, I'd already had this countdown clock to doom in my mind. Though I'm happy to report I've outlived my expectations. So for the next five years, I'll be working on this this podcast. I want to make something of this because it really brings together all of the things that make me come alive. I write, I talk, I connect, I make art, then I do it all over again. And I hope to get paid for being me. Doesn't that sound amazing? Get paid for being you. That's the way it should be. If you make something with your heart and are ready to share it and give it to the world, it should be that easy. But it's not. So I have to learn how to monetize this podcast and grow it. I hope you'll stick around and be part of that. What that looks like, I only have a vague idea. But let me tell you, I love it. When I produce and publish my podcast, people tell me, make more, more content. I want to hear more. When I made art, it was the complete opposite. Not because my art was horrible, at least I don't think so. Wait, I know so. It was because art and the business of art runs on a scarce mentality. Now write this down so you don't take it personally next time you're in the same situation I was. I remember I had an art show at one of my best friend's house. A lot of her very, very wealthy friends came. I sold nothing. And at the end of the night, someone told her, his work is really good, but he's too prolific. He shouldn't make so much work to drive up prices. Less inventory, more demand. I mean, what? Another time, an actual friend of mine told me I should stop sending weekly emails with my artwork because she thought it would fatigue people. I mean, it took me back a few seconds, but just unsubscribe, I thought. But listen, don't shy away, my friends. Make art, make space for your work. It's good enough, I know. So podcasting is the complete opposite. And I have so much to say and so much to deliver, so let's talk. I enjoy this. In my head, I have these ideas, right? I would make protest art. I would make life-size paper mache babies and maybe paint them or leave them with the newsprint visible. Then I would take them into the world, in my case, New York, which I know I have to be really careful about leaving packages anywhere, and just let them be in different places, in high shelves in bookstores or on top of trash cans on Fifth Avenue. The point, or the artist statement, would be to elicit an emotional reaction, to trigger a tug that tug I spoke about earlier, 
at people's instincts so they can feel this primordial instinct to protect our young. For that split second, the encounter would not be affected by preconceived notions or ideas of which babies are valued more than others. Because that is the point. The children in the American concentration camps are valued less than other children on American soil. It's happened before. At the internment camps where they held Japanese Americans in the 40s and even earlier still with the Native Americans. This, my friends, is a tactic of colonization. You take away the children and deflate, humiliate, and break the parents and the community as a whole. Then by doing so, you devastate the next generation with traumas. Have you ever wondered if some of the nightmares that keep you up at night are even yours? Or have they been handed down like a sentence? Think about this for a second. Have some empathy for yourself here. To take it even further, one can even make the babies into piñatas, implying the physical violence and relationship we have with these brown babies. It's so painful, I know, and it's true. I might not be able to do this project. Actually, I know I can't do this project. I'm too chicken shit. But if you feel so inclined, take my idea. Take this idea and run with it. Just give me credit and send me a picture. I'll share it. This is how I cope. I needed to rap about this, to unpack this. How do you do it? I hope you have something like art or reading or working out. God bless those endorphins. Use them. What do you want to rap about? Go to studioconfessions.com. Let me know. I'm here for you. I'm your humble servant in the ivory tower rooting for you. Thanks for listening. You can follow me on Instagram at artengineer. Connect about this podcast and anything you've heard at studioconfessions.com. Reach out with any feedback. I'd love to connect. If you enjoyed this podcast rant, do me a favor. Share it with someone that will benefit from it. And remember, artists are precious. Art is a business. <laughs>